Welcome to Pastor's Class. We are going through the book of Philippians and we're going into the end of chapter one and uh, headed into chapter two. So what I'd like to do tonight um, as we get started, chapter one, about verse 18 down to verse 26. I'd like to read it and then back up, give context because that's real important. And then uh, find out what is it that as Christians we can learn? What, what do we get from this? How can we apply this? so that we not only know God's word, but then are able to apply it to our lives. So let's read the passage, say a word of prayer, and then start going through it. I'll call your attention down to verse 18 in chapter one. And uh, although I'm gonna start with the, the end of verse 18, let's just read the whole verse. Verse 18. <clears throat> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's the famous line. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which will I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me <clears throat> you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So let's pray and see if we can apply this. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the life-giving power of the word. Pray that you open our hearts and minds to hear you speak to us through the Bible, especially in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's start with the book of Philippians. I know you know uh, the background, but let me just sort of tell it to you quickly. Here's a little letter written, a friendly letter, a letter of encouragement written by the Apostle Paul, who is in a jail cell in Rome. Now, if you go and read the end of Acts, you know how he got there. Uh, he was in Jerusalem. He's arrested there. Through a series of events, he appeals to Caesar, and they say, if you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And so they put him on a boat. Uh, he uh, spends some time in Caesarea, two years or so. They put him on a boat. It crashes in Malta. You know that story where he ends up in Malta and has a snake on his hand. He shook it off. And, um, and then after that, he finally gets to Rome. The last chapter in Acts tells us he's in Rome. Uh, the Christians there in Rome receive him well. Uh, and the end of, of Acts 28, although he is imprisoned in Rome, it sounds like he has a whole lot of freedom. When you read it, there, he's, he's, he's eating at his own expense. He has uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that are visiting. He has chance to preach. So it sounds like he has a pretty good ministry even in Rome. But, but you know, Acts ends open-endedly. In, in other words, we don't really know what happened to him. But we have those little pictures. We, we can, can reverse engineer and build a case for what's happening, and you, one of those uh, pieces 
is the book of Philippians and especially this passage. So if you go up the page, you find out and you see him talking about being in prison uh, and he says, you know, uh, I, I think this is going to be honoring to the Lord. There are people that are preaching Christ out of envy. Some are preaching Christ out of good motives. I'm not really concerned about that. Just as long as Jesus gets preached, the good doctrine of Jesus is preached. And then verse 18, uh, we, we drop into Paul's ambition. So I think he's been in prison there in Rome for some time. He was held at Caesarea two years, gets to Rome, Acts ends, he's been there two years. It feels like it's been it's gone pretty well. He hasn't been mistreated. But this passage seems to indicate that there's been a turn. That his trial is coming up. We'll get down to the passage and we'll see that. But you'll see in the first couple of verses, really from verse 18 and 19, you're going to find his Christian ambition in the face of real difficulty. Now just pause right there. This passage, if we can learn just this, if, this, if the Bible study tonight becomes just this passage, if we can learn that our joy is, is not our happiness, if you prefer that word, is not and cannot be dependent on the changing circumstances of our lives because we don't ever know what's around the corner. You, you, you just don't know what is coming down the pike toward your life, what you're going to face and even when you go through something terrible, you don't know if that is as terrible as it's going to get. It seems like there's always can be something worse. So I, what I want to do is use this passage and talk about the joy he has and think through how we can be anchored in that same joy. Verse 18, he uh, asked the question, and we'll get to what he says at the end of, of the verse. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So he's rejoicing that Jesus is being preached, whether it's people that are doing it out of jealousy or, or good motivation. He's not concerned about the, He's a pragmatist. He's not concerned about the motivation. But then notice what else he says, and yes, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Here's a man stuck in prison. I think probably uh, that his trial is coming up. I think that he will be executed. The trial will determine whether or not he is set free or he is executed. And we'll talk about that down, down the passage some. He has that weighing over his head. He, he knows that there's a... Um, if you ever sat and waited on a, a doctor to call or you, you waited to get results from some test or you waited to get news, have someone uh, text you and say, hey, I need to, I need to speak with you, uh, but I, I need to do it face-to-face. -face. Typically, that's not uh, good news. Typically, that's, that's bad news. If you've ever felt that, so multiply that by 10,000. Here's Paul in a Roman prison and probably going to be executed. And yet, in verse 18, uh, he's able to say... I rejoice. He says it twice. I rejoice, and and even in false, false, false brothers teaching good doctrine about Jesus, I rejoice in that. I want Jesus to be, to be preached, and I rejoice in where I am. Rejoicing in Christ, consistently. One of the things that I want to learn in my own life, and I 
I want you to learn as well is, is the ability to find a, a deep reservoir of joy in Jesus Christ so that you can pull from that reservoir when we're living in pretty um, desert-like conditions emotionally and spiritually through, through what's coming down the pipe at us. I think we live in a world that is uh, continuing to not go well, especially for Christians. I think it will be more and more uh, maligned and marginalized and ostracized and mocked uh, and just misunderstood. Um, I, I think we're going to have to find uh, our joy in that deep reservoir of, of Jesus Christ. And that has to be despite conditions, um, despite what we walk into, despite family situations. In fact, I would even say it shines best in suffering. What's remarkable about, remarkable about Paul saying this is he is actually in suffering, that, um, that Christ has become his treasure, that Jesus Christ has become his greatest treasure. I'd like to um, talk to us, uh, to, to us Christians to get past the decisional regeneration. When I say decisional regeneration, what I mean is that um, you making a decision and following Jesus. Yes, that's true. People are saved through making a decision, but that decision comes about through the Holy Spirit doing something. And I don't want to leave it on the table too often uh, Christians will will get baptized after becoming saved and then not, not grow with any depth and never actually have Jesus become your treasure. So often in the world we live in that, you know, we live in the culture and we go to work, we go to school, we are around people that are not believers. We have certain things we like and don't like, certain shows we watch and don't watch, and there's not very much difference in uh, Christians and non-Christians in just basic lifestyle. I would say there needs to be so that we don't learn to treasure things from those that aren't believers. We, we learn to actually treasure Christ. We need that because if you hold on to being a Christian, there are going to be things that are taken away. There are going to be things that are misunderstood. And, and you have Christ to stand on. Or or you go through some terrible tragedy, as, as many of you have been. And if you don't have Christ as your treasure, if something else or maybe someone else is your treasure, when that's gone, you feel completely unmoored from the shore. You, you feel as if you are adrift at sea without any real hope. But like Paul, if we can have Christ as our treasure, if we can learn to rejoice in Christ consistently. So... <clears throat> I want your ambition, a Christian ambition, to be rejoicing in Jesus Christ consistently. The key word there is consistently. I think that comes from uh, a daily walk with the Lord Jesus. I think it comes from taking discipleship seriously. I've been reading re recently about discipleship. I'm, I'm hoping to press the issue even more for our church, uh, where it comes not just seeking community, not just genuine worship, but I think there's an element of discipleship uh, that is important that we don't we we actually don't push enough, and that is the teaching. The we need to learn more. We need to learn uh, the survey of the Bible, the study of the Bible, what the Bible says throughout its books, what the major story of the Bible is, 
uh, how the Bible is to be understood and read and applied, uh, how it is that God speaks to us from his word. I think we need to know, grow in a depth of, of, uh, of the Bible. I think we need to grow in a depth of theology, understanding and, and studying doctrine so that that doctrine becomes devotion. Doctrine is never left on the table. It, it, we have to have it come into our hearts uh, as devotion. And I think that's what Paul experienced. I mean, here's the greatest theologian uh, of the New Testament, right? He's the greatest theologian ever lived. He wrote the book of Romans. And he doesn't leave doctrine in a place uh, as antiseptic and clean and not helpful. Doctrine becomes that which inflames our love for Jesus. I think it's because of his good doctrine. He's able to rejoice. So I want us to learn to rejoice in Christ consistently. I think that comes from your own walk with the Lord. I think that comes with quickly repenting of sin. I think that comes with getting serious about holiness. I think that comes with um, not just showing up at worship and being in the room. I think that comes with engaging, uh, singing, praying, and, and hearing, actively hearing. I mean, we do expositional preaching here. You becoming an expositional listener to what the Bible says. It teaches us to rejoice in Christ consistently. But let me go down the page a little bit uh, to verse 19. And there you find that uh, another Christian ambition would be relying on Christ completely. You see that in verse 19? Let me read it to you. Uh, really, verse, I'll just stay at verse 19. Let me read that. <clears throat> Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So just... I would, I would underline that whole verse, and especially that last word, deliverance. Let's go back and look at it. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, what is the this? This situation, him in prison, it going toward a trial where he will either be judged and executed, judged and let go. And he doesn't know what's going to happen, and he's saying here, I know that uh, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So in context, my first thought was he's talking about being set free from prison, that he says God has shown him he's going to be set free. That's not what that passage is saying. You go back to that word deliverance. It is the uh, Greek word soteria, soteria, where we get soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So, so what he's saying here, <clears throat> he's saying in verse 19, that no matter what happens to me, I am convinced that this circumstance, through you praying for me, through the Holy Spirit, will result in, in deliverance, salvation, in exoneration before the Lord. And <clears throat> in fact, a lot of people think he is, he's quoting Job chapter 13, a paraphrase. There seems to be an Old Testament reference here. And he's talking about his vindication. Vindication that his belief in Jesus has been right, his preaching of the gospel has been true, that his ministry um, has been God-honoring, that his life is a picture of the salvation of Christ. He's talking not about deliverance from prison. I think he'll mention that later. <clears throat> right here, he's talking about the ability, the ability of, of honoring God of living the gospel 
so that it becomes a picture of living, joyfully suffering for Jesus. How does he do that? Well, <clears throat> um, the, the text tells us. He says I, I, this happens through two things, prayer and the Holy Spirit. Do you see it in verse uh, 19? For I know that through your prayers, he's talking to the, the church at Philippi. It's a friendly le letter. You read it, it's very warm. He loves these people. They obviously love him, and he is dependent on uh, them praying for him. In fact, he's saying this is how God will work. He works through channels. He works through what the Puritans used to call means, and those means are prayer. That, that is how God works in this world and through people. <clears throat> Paul believed that. We believe that. And I would just pause and say uh, it is a real privilege to get to pray for people. It is a real active part of what it means to be a Christian, to be a brother or sister in Christ. Somebody asks you to pray for them <clears throat> or if you tell someone you are going to pray for them. It is a really good practice to pause and do that right now. To put your hand on that brother or sister's shoulder and say, could I pray for you right now? And actually, because, because a lot of times we just forget. Life is busy, we get to doing things, we just forget to pray. Or what I have found helpful, and I've seen Connie do this a lot, my wife Connie, uh, when you pray for someone to to actually text the actual prayer uh, that you're saying to God, send that to the person to let them know, hey, this is this is uh, what I have prayed for you. Now, sometimes there's not time to do that, or uh, it, it is encouraging to say to someone, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. But encouragement is not the end of saying I'm praying for you. The actual power is not the encouragement you gave someone by saying, I'm praying for you. The actual power, according to Paul, is asking God to come and do something in this situation. And so here's what Paul's saying. Where I'm getting this confidence, the, the reason I'm able to rejoice even though I might be killed later, and he probably was, uh, the, the reason I can rejoice is that I, I know that you've been praying for me, and those prayers are effective. It's, it's, it's powerful. That's what God does. And, and then notice he also, here comes his doctrine. Uh, he says it's not just prayer, but look again in verse 19. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. So prayer, and then he is giving, he's quick to say, and this is, this is God the Spirit doing this. In fact, it's a, it's a very Trinitarian thing to say. So the Trinity, one of those doctrines we should have <clears throat> at least some depth in. I don't know that you'll ever get a full handle on it, but this, this real belief that's not modalism, but, but Trinitarianism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I like here that he's even said the Spirit of Jesus. He's tied it to the gospel, being filled with the Spirit, and his strength is in the Spirit that it is the Holy Spirit that is giving him this ability to rejoice from back in verse 18. So our ambition spiritually is to rejoice in Christ consistently, to rely on Christ completely, and then come on down with him to verse 20 and 21, 
and that is our ambition. We, we want to represent, three R's there, uh, we want to represent Christ courageously, with courage. You'll see that, um, you'll see that in verse 20 and 21. Let me read it, and then let's talk about it just a little bit. <clears throat> verse 20. As it is my eager expectation, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, see what he's got going on there, what he's facing? He, he's saying, I, look, I, whether I live and I'm let go or I'm executed, um, I want what happens to my body to be honoring to the Lord. I mean, what a great, what a great, um, what a great ambition to be eager, uh, to not be ashamed, to be full of courage, to to think about whether I'm dying or living. So, uh, when you read verse twenty, and you add to it verse twenty-one. Um, Tack on there in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So what he's saying is, regardless of what happens to me, in the suffering, if I, I'm suffering in my body, if, you, if, if God gives you cancer, you have that and it starts to affect you and you know you're going to die, this is one of those places you go and you say, this, this strengthens me. So that I, I want it to be my ambition that, that whether I live or die, that Christ is honored. That if I die, I die in such a way that brings honor to the name of Jesus. You see how this takes, you see how this takes away our own personal preference, preferences and desires, even for healing. And it's a good thing to desire to be to be healed, but the ambition goes. A Christian's ambition is above that. It's not just that I won't have the suffering. But if providentially I do have this suffering, my prayer is that in it, whether I live or die, Christ is honored. That's what this verse is. When you hear verse 21, um, uh, th this is what he's talking about. For to me, he's saying to live, if I make it through, then I keep living my life for Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. For me to die, not only do I believe I'll honor Jesus in that death, but I actually will be with Jesus uh, when I die and go to heaven. And that's what he talks about in, in the next few verses. So for us, um, so it's good for you to pray, if you're sick, to pray for healing. For us to pray for other people that are sick, we pray for God's healing. But I would challenge you um, to, to take this passage into consideration when you pray for the suffering of a brother or sister. So we pray that God would be close to the brokenhearted, that he would heal the suffering, that he would take away sickness. Yes, we do pray that. But if he doesn't do that, we also pray that whether, whether I walk through suffering or an easy time in life, that Christ is honored there, that I am able to, to represent Jesus courageously. You go to the hospital, you're in a hospital bed, so that the nurses and the doctors see, even though you're in excruciating pain, there you are honoring the Lord. What a, what a great ambition for a Christian. Now, with a Christian ambition, 
uh, in check, I'd like to just talk about um, our Christian vision, what it means to be with Christ. And you'll hear that in verses 22 all the way down to verse 24 or so. You'll see his dilemma. Uh, you'll see Paul's desire. And then you'll see uh, what I would call his decision. So his dilemma, verses 22 and 23, his desire, verse 24, and then his decision. Let me, let's go through that quickly. Join me there in verse 22. Paul says, if I am to live in the flesh, if I, so if I make it, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It's a good thing. I, if, I, if I make it through this and they let me out of this jail, then I'm going to continue the ministry and it hopefully will be fruitful. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So what he's saying is, I, but truthfully, as I'm approaching this trial, I don't know what I want more. The actual execution and be a martyr for Jesus or to stay alive and keep doing the ministry. You see it? Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he, he understands the necessity of, of preaching and teaching. Uh, I'm sorry, back up to verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. So he looked forward to his heavenly reward. He trusted in the resurrection of the body. This is one of these great things that you and I need to get a hold of uh, as Christians, that we ha have no fear of dying that we we don't just spend all our time praying that people won't die. We pray that, that they would have the courage to face whatever uh, in, in a way that honors Jesus. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. I want to go to heaven, for that is far better. But, verse 24, but to remain here, uh, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Okay, so he... He knows the ministry is necessary. Listen to this optimism at the end of verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And what he's saying there is to die wouldn't be all that bad. In fact, I would probably prefer that to be with Jesus. The necessity would probably be to do ministry here, but that's that's in the hands of God. I've heard people say, is he contemplating suicide? He's not contemplating suicide here. What he's doing is thinking through some uh, eventual outcomes of his life, and you'll notice that both of them are good. So, so that's where I would just take you back to that key verse in verse 21 that maybe it should be the theme of our life and our suffering and our death. To live is Christ. Is that, is that true for you? If you're going to make it, you're, you're living, you're, you're going to be a God-honoring, Christ-exalting person, person. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That we trust that when, when we die, we are shed of this sinful body and nature. And we now, in that process of Christianity, of regeneration and justification and sanctification, and now death comes 
in glorification. To, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A Christian ambition and a Christian vision that will carry us through. Let me pray for you and uh, we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encouraging word. Help me to be a man that believes this and lives it so that my life might be to live as Christ and to die as gain. I pray for the men and women at our church that we would grow as disciples and this would be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.